0: Hello everybody. Welcome back to our Timeless Homes podcast. This is Clayton Vance your host and today we are going to be talking about something absolutely fascinating. We are going to be putting in the missing puzzle piece to your architectural education. This this podcast we're going to look at um how we got where we got. A little history lesson for the layperson. If you're an architectural student, this isn't a history lesson for you. If you're a professor, this isn't a history lesson for you. You would have you, you learned all this stuff elsewhere, um, but uh, there, it still might be worth listening to. Um, I'm not going into full depth. Some of you may believe I massacre this, but there are going to there are some essentials, absolute essentials that we need to cover for the layperson to understand how we got to where we are architecturally in terms of residential design. And, and the theories that got us here, because the theories that are promulgated within the institutions, within the academy, academia, architecture schools, those eventually make themselves known in the physical realities of the buildings that surround us, right? And there's no escaping the theories. The theories are what drive the, the physical representation of those theories, and, and I think we talked about last time that, we're, that that architecture really is the physical representation of kind of our collective values um, and, and theories. And that is what we're going to look at today because there was a break 100 years ago and just before that, it's more like 200 years ago, but it really culminated about um, 100 to 150 years ago that, that changed the world in, in ways that I don't think we could ever undo Um, And so the question is, is, how do we deal with it now? And what I'm referring to is some really ugly stuff because... Let me put it this way. When you just walk down just a neighborhood, a historic neighborhood, you're going to look at a house. You will have no idea who the architect is, no idea who the builder is, know nothing about the house, but you're going to be like, oh, that's a cute house, or that's a charming house, or that just that makes me feel good. For some reason, there's this 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 relationship that you experience as a pedestrian with architecture that, that draws you into this um, uh this this relationship, it's it's the same thing that we have with nature, right? We we come from nature, we are natural beings, and that relationship that we we feel when we are in nature or experience with natural things, it uh, it it helps us, it, it gives us life, right? And and we recognize, you know, who we are and what we're a part of. When you when you extract us out of that if i had a if i had a mannequin sitting here i'd put him right next to me and be like one of us is a machine one of us is natural and this is really the essence of what we're going to be talking about today um there's going to be some things that are going to be on the screen so once again um if you're listening to this i'd recommend going to the timeless homes website and or youtube to watch this since architectural is necessarily visual um Don't really mean a thing because a picture is worth way more than a thousand words way 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 more than a thousand words Um, But the words are important to understand the theories that were driving the pictures Um, today, let's begin I Have all these crazy notes in front of me and I don't honestly totally know exactly where to start What I want to do is I want to start right at the break and then I want to take us back to where we are Not back forward to where we are today presently and then back in history to where it all began. And we're gonna look at the theories that made stuff, that made architecture in each of those three uh, kind of areas. In the 1800s, late 1800s, there were a few architects that were, that were born and um, became quite famous had some theories, fought against some things, and changed the world. Just a couple of their names, there's a lot of them, but just a couple of the main ones are, are a fellow by the name of Le Corbusier, um, which is, uh, it's not his actual name. I don't even know what his name is, uh, his name name is, but uh, that's what he went by. Another guy is Walter Gropius. He, he's in Germany, Corbusier with France, obviously, and Frank Lloyd Wright. All of these are contemporaries. They're all more or less born about the same time, died about the same time, and and expressed their theories and did architecture all about the same time in different parts of the planet. 1850s to 1950s, or late 1800s, not 1850s, 18, 1860s and, um, to the mid-1800s. I'm going to read some stuff from the theories of these guys and i think you might find it absolutely fascinating because i know when i read it (laughs) the the world that i lived in made a lot more sense it made a lot more sense so story time with clayton vance is now beginning and i'm going to read to you from walter gropius the new architecture in the bauhaus this is his theory that um, he taught in the bauhaus it was in germany Um, hitler whom we all abhor wanted something a little more classical than uh than modern and so gropius and his bauhaus got booted from germany and he ended up i think at mit or harvard or something and so this theory got promulgated in in the us and and when you think of just about human nature i mean think about that in human nature who who of us um doesn't want to rebel from the thing that we're opposed to, right? And every single teenager on the planet rebels from authority figures and authority um, institutions. And that's just human nature. And so you can expect that from every single generation. And the irony, I mean, honestly, the irony with all of it is... is is every generation is just as idiotic as the previous one and when we don't have this continuity of culture that goes from generation to generation each generation so i mean we're talking every 20 years 30 years everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel and be like oh we're the new ones we're the first ones to do this oh we're breaking with the past oh we're the rebels we it's like no you're not this has been going on for since the beginning of time sorry teenager you're not unique you are exactly the same as every other idiotic rebel who decided to be a rebel. And it's that is not the point. It's just part of growing up, and it's totally fine, but you have to figure out, okay, what is, what is in the end, what are the fundamental principles in which I'm going to govern my life and my creative endeavors? The new architecture in the Bauhaus by from Walter Gropius – he says, a breach has been made with the past, which allows us to envisage a new aspect of architecture corresponding to the technical civilization of the age in which we live. The morphology of dead styles has been destroyed. We are returning to honesty of thought and feeling. The general, I mean, does this not sound like a, uh, a, cry, a battle cry of a bunch of rebels saying, down with traditional styles. Down with which? Because what was what was popular at this time? What was the ultimate school at this time in Paris, the Ecole des Beaux Arts, right? So the Ecole des Beaux Arts, the school of the fine arts, was in Paris and it'd been around for hundreds of years, and it taught the fine arts and culminated like architecture, right? And and when you think of the Ecole des Beaux Arts or the, that particular style, the real brief explanation is really high classical architecture we're talking fancy schmancy stuffy what is what most of you would think um very ordered very symmetrical just very classical architecture greco-roman stuff right and so if that's what's going on in your city and and you're some rebellious teenager and you don't want to follow the rules and that particular architecture is weighed down by rule after rule after rule, and the discipline of that architecture is so rigid that it doesn't allow your so-called free expression. I mean, it literally is like playing the piano, right? You have to get your scales right. You have to practice. You have to do this. Yeah. And then it takes years in order to perfect that particular task of playing the piano till you can really engage in your own free creativity uh, to be able to compose. Some of you out there are incredibly talented and just have that natural gift and can compose because there's This this music in you that you can do and you use um, the instrument that's already given you to to compose things within, I mean, a general language that we all just inherently uh, possess because it's framed by harmonics and geometry and that type of stuff in terms of musical relationships and Western music that we're used to. But in architecture and art, it's it's not the same thing. If you completely disassociate yourself from the language and that that classical language of architecture, you're like yeah, I don't want to participate in that anymore. I don't want to speak that. I want a totally different instrument. Screw you, people at the academy. I'm starting my own. This is this is the type of language that that is. A breach has been made with the past. Allows us to blah blah technological civilization. Dead styles has been destroyed. That's what that's talking about. Classical architecture has been destroyed. Dun, dun, dun. Um, The new architecture, and he has it in caps the new architecture. He's calling this new style the new architecture. Differs fundamentally in organic sense from the old. They are not the personal whims of a handful of architects for the innovation of all costs. They are simply the inevitable logical product of intellectual, social, and technical conditions of our age. Keep that word in mind. Technical, technical, technical. Because what is happening in the 1800s, we have the general, we have the giant um, industrial revolution. 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s. And at the turn of the century, from 18 to 19, that is when everything just goes crazy. Look at World War One. It went from horseback and foot soldiers to tanks and machinery and aircraft. There was a technological industrial revolution in terms of machinery that we were in love with and we should have been in love with because it's awesome. It's absolutely incredible the the advances that were made, this this progress, as it were, and so you can you can see why within the arts that type of attitude would also continue, or not continue. I mean, um, be prevalent. The liberation back to Gropius, the liberation of architecture from a welter of ornament, the emphasis on on its structural function. And the concentration on concise and economical solutions represent the purely material side of that formalization process, blah, blah, blah. The other is the aesthetic satisfaction of the human soul is just as important as the material. Both find their counterpart in the unity, which is life itself. What is far more important than this structural economy and its functional emphasis is the intellectual achievement which has made possible this new spatial vision. Remember when we talked a couple weeks ago about the idea of the room as an ordering device? That is, that is just one thing to help us just understand um, uh, just house configuration and, and timeless house design. But, but what this is 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 a complete, once again, a break a break with the past, throwing it away. We're going to completely, an in, a new intellectual age that is ushered in so we have a new spatial vision of what this is. Now, I want you to go look at um, the architecture of Walter Gropius in terms of houses um, there is a house. I'm going to pull it up on, on my screen. It'll come up on your screen too. Um, if you're watching this, um, this is a house in Dessau, Germany. I'm sure I'm massacring the pronunciation of that, but whatever. And I look at this thing. Th- this is, this is their ideal. This is the ends of their, the ends of their thing. So if we, if we look at, um, a house, I'm going to pull up another couple things right now. Pull up on, on, on your screen or look at it online or, or just or find it and pull up the Villa Savoye, S-A-V, um, S-A-V-O-Y-E, by Le Corbusier, and also the Roby House from Frank Lloyd Wright. These were two contemporaries. And if you have no idea who these architects are and you have no idea what they um, um, thought or promoted in terms of their particular theory, just look at the images and tell me what would you think? And that's the approach that we're trying to take with this entire thing. I don't care who the architect is. I don't care who the builder was. I don't care. What I want to see is what is the end results or the objective reality or the objective principles embedded within the within the object itself, within the house itself, within the building itself, within the architecture itself. What are the objective principles embedded within that composition that either draw me in in terms of... Uh, a relationship, a natural relationship with a thing, or just reject me, and just send a wall up of, of, just like yeah, I don't care about you. And 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 what I'm talking about is these relationships that we feel with architecture, and why cities that are timeless age with grace, and why natural materials continue to do that too. So one of these, you can see both of them are low slung. And, you know, just they're, they're low-slung, and they have these horizontal window bandings. One has a very monolithic base, a very heavy base, and another one is completely open with steel columns. And both have, I mean, virtually flat roofs with a couple um, kind of projections coming out of the top. Just look at that and ask yourself, what, what were these guys thinking? Well, the one on the right is this break with the old styles. The old styles are dead. And the fundamental intellectual achievement made possible this new spatial vision, it's like, come on, guys. Really? The experiment is over. This stuff is garbage. If I didn't know that was done by Le Corbusier, I would walk by that house and think to myself, what a bugly house. My gosh! And I walk by the the Roby House in Chicago, and I don't know what it is. I'm like, wow, that's a fascinating thing. That's cool. Remember the quote I read a couple weeks ago about that quote from Jefferson. Um, and it, well, he said, "A state of moral case to a plowman and a professor, and the a farmer will um, decide it right." um more often than the latter because he's not been led astray by artificial rules that's more or less the gist and and as we as we become infatuated with novelty stuff with new with trends with things that are cool which which we'll talk about um then we're then we're subject to being honestly led into doctrines of design that are just straight up wrong And we will begin to think this is cool and we will somehow justify that it's beautiful in some random way we'll get to that let's keep with some text from for the last century transformation from manual machine production has so preoccupied humanity that instead of pressing forward to tackle the new problems of of the design postulated um, we're, con- we're still content to borrow styles from antiquity and perpetuate historical prototypes and decoration. And then he goes on to just destroy that and say that's a bad idea. And now in regards to materials, new synthetic substances, steel, concrete, glass, are actively superseding traditional raw materials of construction. Their, ri- their rigidity and molecular density have made it possible to, re- to erect wide and all-but-transparent structures for which the skill of previous ages was manifestly inadequate yes correct that is true and this infatuation with with new synthetic materials engineered mater- materials machined materials led to an entire generation of building with those materials because they were new they were cool we were experimenting there was so much technological advancements no one could really keep up it just kept happening and what happens a hundred years later we look back and we're like wow that steel didn't weather well Ooh, that synthetic material didn't weather well wow that's ugly and it just does not weather well and it's bad the more engineered it is the worse it weathers But in the last resort, back to Gropius, mechanization can only have one object, to abolish the individual's physical toil of providing himself with the necessities of of existence in in order that the hand and brain may be set free for some higher order of activity. Okay, people, we've been set free from manual labor, right? There aren't, I've got, I'm working on a project right now and the stonemason who's working on the project, who's pretty good says that he can't find any apprentices right now because there's no kids who want to learn to be a stonemason. So, okay, congratulations. We've been set free. We've been set free from the physical toil. Now what's the result? What do we get? I mean, think about it. We now live in a world in which no one, (laughs) there's hardly anyone, and there's less and less and less people who want to be like, True skilled craftsmen. And maybe, actually just maybe that that physical toil is part of the experience of life that enriches humanity, the soul, and the community generally. Because I'm looking at this, okay, so we've been set free for some higher order of activity. Wow, what higher order of activity? So we could just sit on our phones all day long and be completely brainwashed by who knows what, the next cool thing. He goes on to talk about um, this, this standardization of materials. And he says, The fear that individuality will be crushed, by, crushed out by the growing tyranny of standardization is the sort of myth which cannot sustain the briefest examination did you get that let me read that one more time the fear that individuality will be crushed out by the growing tyranny of standardization is the sort of myth which cannot sustain the briefest examination guess what walter gropius you are completely 100 percent wrong <laughs> like so completely dead wrong um, the individuality was crushed out it absolutely was crushed out how many choices do you have the individuality in architectural Composition in an architectural, uh, you know, ornamentation and architectural anything was 100% crushed out by standardization of materials manufacturing and all this sort of stuff. When I go to try to get, um, let's say, standard so-called crown moldings, molding profiles, anything like that, columns to put in front of a house the standardization allows me only choices X, Y, and Z, or maybe there might be five choices or six choices. But the reason all of our houses look so similar is because all the stuff is exactly the same. There's no, there's no craftsmen, skilled craftsmen, because now we're free from being craftsmen. So now we have no craftsmen to actually put anything together that's individual and very unique and specific to an individual. And, and, and all my choices when I go to a catalog to select the things that I can use for a house are standardized, they're cheap and standardized, but they're, they're so, that, I mean, yeah, it's the tyranny of standardization. And I have, no, I have no choice in terms of what I can use because there's no craftsman who can put it together right and, and actually build things from scratch. There are some out there, and if you are one of those, congratulations, that's awesome train more people Walter Gropius thank you for helping destroy the world and making this world an ugly place to live he says in the in conclusion in his book the new architecture in the bauhaus no one who has explored the sources of the movement I have called the new architecture can possibly subscribe to the claim that it is based on an anti-tradition obsession for mechanic for mechanistic technique qua uh, uh, mechanistic technique which blindly seeks to destroy all deeper national loyalties and is doomed to lead to the uh de- deification of pure materialism are you kidding me that's exactly what happened that is exactly what happened. No one who has explored the sources of the movement can possibly subscribe to the claim that it is based on the anti-traditional obsession for mechanistic technique and destroy all deeper national loyalties and is doomed to lead to the deification of pure materialism. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Congratulations, Walter. You were wrong in this book. Pretty much a hundred percent of of it is is wrong. But this hundred percent that's wrong. In the new architecture in the Bauhaus is what was taught for 50 years in architecture schools and that is why what you look around from from the 1930s 40s 50s 60s is so crazy ugly it is based on a fundamental theory that is so phenomenally flawed that it 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 did exactly what he's claiming it would not do and it led to the deification of materialism and that is our new god is the new is the novel is whatever is cool whatever is trendy and and whatever and technological advancement we worship technology apple we worship apple don't we we sit in lines to get the next iPhone. We'll sit there for days to get the next iPhone or the next whatever's coming out. Here's the next guy, Le Corbusier. I'm going to, yeah, we're going to divide this up into this podcast in a couple things because honestly, this is kind of heavy and kind of, it, it might be boring. So, what we're going to do on this one is we're just going to look at the modern stuff, right? And And the next guy we're going to look at is Le Corbusier. And then we're going to cut this and say sayonara till next time. And then we're going to look at where we are today and then, and also um, the opposite of this, which was the traditional stuff. And what their theories of architecture were. Sole Corbusier. Story time. Toward a new architecture. Toward a new architecture. I really don't understand all of this infatuation with the new. We love new stuff. We love new stuff and we love old stuff. For some reason, we don't really love in-between stuff. We love babies, we love old people, but we hate teenagers. Sorry, teenagers. I don't know why. There's just something about it, right? Well, listen to this. Listen. So this is Le Corbusier sending out his, his uh, theory. A great epic has begun. Same sort of you know triumphant we're gonna conquer type of um narrative there exists a new spirit there exists a massive work now remember this is this is turn of the century stuff right night early 1900s there exists a massive work conceived in the new spirit it is to be met with particular with particularly in industrial production architecture is stifled by custom The styles are a lie. There it is. He just says it right there. He declares. Think about it. All classical, all traditional, all anything that you could categorize into some sort of historical style, Gothic, -Gothic, Neo-Gothic, Italianate, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The styles are a lie. Interestingly, when he says that, Hugh takes it one step further than John Ruskin, who uh, loved Gothic architecture, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but there's this business which we talked about authenticity in architecture last time, um, or two times ago, and and it was and it's like l- honesty or lying in architecture. Th- that isn't the ends. That isn't your. That's not your ultimate virtue. Who cares? Honesty in architecture. Who cares? The ends that we're trying to achieve is something towards beauty. It's towards the, the the natural composition which nature has ordered that we can um, draw from to reflect that natural order within uh, within our compositions and extract from that okay what are what is the organizational fundamental um, fundamentals of, of design it's geometry and Corbusier takes geometry into its extreme its crazy extreme. Working by calculation, he says, engineers employ geometrical forms, satisfying our eyes by their geometry and our understanding by their mathematics. Their work is on direct line of good art. Now, that may sound good in text, but go look at what he's talking about. Pull up a picture of Le Corbusier or this book. I mean, if you're looking at this, here's here's what he thinks is great stuff. Here's the great architecture. Silos, farm warehouses, pure geometries of silos, and grain. I mean, seriously. Seriously, we must create the, the mass production spirit. The spirit of constructing mass production houses. So all of you who have ever asked the question... Cookie cutter houses, why, 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 why do we have cookie cutter houses? Why is that neighborhood just going and looks like a cookie cutter house? Cookie cutter house, cookie cutter house. It's not necessarily the cookie cutter house that's the problem, but it's the cookie. It's what the cookie looks like and what it tastes like that's the problem. Rather than actually having a chocolate chip cookie, all we're eating is cardboard. cardboard. It's cardboard cookies. It's not a chocolate chip cookie, it's a cardboard cookie. It's a manufactured, engineered cardboard cookie that stamped out, and that's what we get to visually see and witness the spirit of living in mass production houses we eliminate from our hearts and minds the all dead concepts in regard to the house and look at the question from a critical objective point of view we shall arrive at the house machine he puts that in quotes the house machine the mass production house healthy and morally so too this is really important you have to understand when you're talking to architects or you're hiring architects who have been educated in the present state of things, they are taught that what they're doing in terms of design and contributions to this planet is a moral um, a moral pursuit. And if you feel something is a moral pursuit, regardless of how wrong you are, you're going to pursue it in, 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 in a manner of zeal that will prohibit you from doing actual good stuff. If, if you're on the wrong train track and he called this house machine, the mass production house, healthy and morally so too, and beautiful in the same way that the working tools and instruments, which accompany our existence are beautiful, beautiful. Also with all the animation, that the artist sensibility can add to sever pure and pure functioning elements. If we challenge the past, we shall learn that styles no longer exist for us. That style belonging to our own period has come about and there has been a revolution. Okay, folks. You wondered why on earth we got where we got. That's why. Those are the theories. It was a a moral pursuit it was a moral theory it was a uh a revolution an aesthetic revolution that was that deified exactly what Gropius said didn't do but it did do it deified mechanization and materialism and made those the ends of all things it 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 obscured order and tradition and grand narratives and all sorts of things and it just screwed it up so look at the look at the Villa Savoy and that is what he was promoting here is another house um, by Le Corbusier which is the Citroen house the C-I-T-R-O-H-A-N look at it go go take a look at it and tell me if 100 years later that looks great and you would want that to be your neighbor okay all 35 of mil- million of you in california i recognize that most of california is uh, is modernist and comes from this generation and there is and there can be something cool about it but man from a pedestrian standpoint walking down a street this stuff is so jarring it absolutely is. If you've been if you've been to um communist uh bl- old communist blocks, old soviet socialist blocks in Europe and you see that, it's it's a it's a sight to behold on how soulless it is, how dead it feels and how the life has been completely abstracted and this is this is worth closing on because because it's so important. Um, particularly as it as it relates to kind of the social movements of today, I want you to I want you to go pull up Le Corbusier's plan for Paris and 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 take uh, and pull it up on your computer because the Notre Dame Cathedral, you know, just we just had a fire. There are all sorts of proposals as to what to do to it. This is a proposal from 100 years ago that Le Corbusier, the brilliant genius who infiltrated everybody's, you know, architectural aesthetic. And this is what his plan was for Paris. If you look at the screen, you can see um, the um, the island um, and where Notre Dame actually sits on that island. And... And those of you who have been to Paris know what's exactly, what's directly across the street. Le Corbusier decided this is the machine for living. This is the right way to do it. One day, Auguste Perret created a phrase, the city of towers, a glittering epithet, which aroused the poet in us, a word which struck the note of the moment because the fact itself is imminent. Almost unknown to us, the great city is engendered its plan. This is what he's calling the great city. This plan may well be a gigantic affair since the great city is a rising tide. It is the time that we should repudiate the existing layout of our towns, in which the congestion of buildings grows greater, which is true, interlaced by narrow streets full of noise, which is true, petrol fumes and dust, And where on each story, the windows open wide onto this foul confusion, which was and is true. Lived in Rome, love ya, but holy cow chaotic. I started doing this, started twitching after about four months of living there because of how much chaos there was. But have you ever lived in a giant apartment block? In in a situation like this, pull it up, look at it. Have you ever seen this and lived in this? This is, this is taking the soul out of humanity. The great towns have become too dense for the security of the inhabitants, and yet they are not sufficiently dense to meet the needs of modern business. The whole goal of this um, Parisian plan and, and its um, manifestation, the goal of it is to be... So we live in towers. We live in towers and we drive in cars. So our entire existence... We no longer actually have social interactions. We exist in these little housing pods and we get into our vehicular pods and then we go to wherever we're supposed to go and then come back and there's no more interactions. It's weird. The chaos, that chaos of the the urban fabric in the public realm is part of the thing that makes humanity humanity. It may drive us crazy, but this infatuation with machines and stuff generated... um, Man, just generated some of the worst, the worst imaginable living conditions that you can, that, that you can, that you can conceive. Um, because in the end, architecture is the, what? It is the visual representation of this, of the values of the civilization. And this is the representation of equality of outcome. When we have manufactured housing where a house is a machine where every house looks the same where everyone lives in the same stuff and everyone is the same your individuality has just been gone your choice your freedoms everything extracted welcome to the wonderful world of socialism and communism this is it this is the physical representation of those ideals and it is catastrophic If you've ever lived there, go live there if you believe that socialism and communism were good things, go live in the physical representation of those ideals and tell me it's still a good thing because it sucks. Like unbelievably bad. And we, in our our architecture and um, our houses today, we still have the remnants of these philosophies still floating around in terms of mass production, this infatuation with materialism, the deification of mechanization and technological advances—we still live with those in a manner that we that we still have not been able to fully like break from or go or, or um, uh, yeah regress from. Because if that's progress, then we need to either transgress or regress. Because progress, man, it creates some really iffy sketchy stuff sometimes and well let's okay let's keep it for our phones and our computers and that type of stuff but not for our buildings not for our cities is there one last Corbusier quote I can leave you with sure architecture finds itself confronted with new laws construction has undergone innovation so great that the old styles, which still obsess us can no longer clothe it. Yeah, it's, it's correct. The old styles can no longer clothe it. And that's why we have such issues in designing houses today because we just put more gables and more gables we want more interest we want more visual interest because we know that this modernist stuff just has no real visual interest unless you do modernism really 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 good with natural materials not machined materials and we can get into that later and that's when modernism can be timeless is when you use natural materials not not engineered materials and um and it's composed in a way that still has order and um and the materials employed evade the attentions of the decorative artists. There is so much novelty in the forms and rhythms furnished by these constructional methods. Such novelty in arrangement and in the new industrial programs that we can no longer close our minds to the true and profound laws of architecture, which are, are established on mass, rhythm, and proportion. The styles no longer exist. They are outside our can. If they still trouble us, it is as parasites. If we set ourselves against the past, we are forced to the conclusion that the old architectural code with its mass and rules and regulations evolved during 4,000 years is no longer of any interest. It no longer concerns us. All the values have been revised. There has been a revolution in the conception of what architecture is. There it is, folks. That is why we live in such a horribly ugly world. And we have resulted to economy as the ends of production. Because the theory of beauty was tossed out, 4,000 years of architectural tradition, thrown and washed down the toilet. And because of that, skilled craftsmen were gone, knowledge of the tradition was gone, and we live in the consequences of that. Thank you, people of 100 years ago. Thank you for giving us a heritage to... An experience to look at which is tragic, ugly, and just despicable. Next time, we will cover what they used to believe. And what we can do to try to reclaim some of that so we can live in more timeless things. Because everything we talked about today is all about trends. All about fashionable and treating architecture as an article of clothing, which it is not. And leave your comments because I'm sure there's a lot of you with passionate um, thoughts regarding all of this. And uh, let's keep the discussion rolling because, (laughs) oh man, if they did that to Paris, what a tragedy. I'm glad that they decided to rebuild it. In the style it was when it burned. Till next time, this is Clayton Vance signing off with Timeless Homes. Ciao.